Welcome to the Matt Mosley Show. Michael Woodson joining us now from Orlando. Phil, any uh, different to you to be going into this now? Twice you were named interim coach. And recently, it's the first time I've gotten to talk to you since you were named uh, the actual head coach. The interim tag was taken away. Did uh, Does it feel any different to you? A different feeling for you or your players or anything like that? And by the way, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, honestly, no. Uh, you know, we've been so focused on, you know, trying to make sure we – make the sacrifices that we need to, to train and compete at the highest level in what's been a different year. Um, you know, and, and also as a staff, we've been just focused on giving these guys the best possible experience that they can have. Um, and that's, a, you know, staying present day in and day out. I uh, really had, hadn't thought much about the future, hadn't thought much about anything other than what can we do here at Baylor to, to serve these young men. This is the Matt Mosley Show. Here's your host, Matt Mosley. It is Matt Mosley, and that was a while back that we had the great Michael Woodson on, and it was before, sadly, uh, the Bears lost in the national title match, made it the Final Four, made it all the way to the title match, and oh, what a match it was the other night against Florida, all those fans there. Baylor had a good showing as well, but uh, playing there in Orlando, I just assumed Florida had won that thing. I was really surprised that Florida had not, especially given how good their program is. But, um, oh, my goodness. Shelton, I believe, was the coach's name. His son was an incredible player, and they got that thing done. And uh, joined today by Garrett Ross. Maybe we'll get Steven back at some point. Who knows? Who knows? He's a – I mean, Garrett, all we can say about Steven is he's a hot commodity. Well, that's right. I mean, everybody's fighting up for over him. Oh, we want Steven. We want Steven. It's a good problem to have. Garrett, don't you wish somebody was fighting over us? Yeah. We yeah. want we want Mosley. We want Ross. But anyway, we'll get, you know, we may have Steven back at some point. We'll see. We'll see. It really comes down to, Garrett, the way I read this, wherever Steven wants to be. And right now, it appears he does not want to be with us. Hmm. He's, like a, he's like an NBA free agent, just wherever yeah, he I wants to. It's very tough. It's very tough. And the good thing is, since he's on another program right now, he can't hear us make fun of him. So that's good. That's good to know. But uh, we miss Steven. We wish him the best in life. <laughs> Sounds like we're going to lose him forever. <laughs> He's going to be around. He's going to be around. He seems to be involved with something happening at, at Fox, over at Fox right now. But we're concerned about ESP in Central Texas. And uh, we appreciate everyone who uh, continues to be a part of this. And there's a lot of excitement because a lot of stuff happened over the weekend. And I will say, Garrett, I don't know if you get the Tennis Channel. I do. It is one of my channels, one of the great things about uh, – I don't know if there are that many great things about having direct TV, but one of the good things has been I get all my Rangers baseball and other people are having issues, and I get the Tennis Channel and I get the Golf Channel. All right, those are things that uh, – now, Tennis Channel doesn't normally mean much to me. But on Saturday night, they got that thing started late. And um, and it was Bears versus Gators, and Baylor wins the uh, doubles point. So they get three of these things going at once. One of them we were getting wiped out in. Two of them we won. So we get the doubles point, which means we only needed to win three of the six. We just needed to basically split. And if you've never watched a national title um, tennis match, Garrett, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting. 
first of all, it got started late, which is fine with me because I like to stay up late and watch all these games anyway. And, of course, I was preparing because I think that was the night uh, Denver was playing late. I wanted to see that game, but this thing was up against it. And so I'm going back and forth watching all this. And what happens is you'll, you'll feel like you're doing pretty well in a match, and then the thing can turn on you in a hurry. And, the, and then suddenly they break your serve. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> in like one, in one fell swoop, Garrett, the, the Florida team had like three matches go their way at once. And, I mean, boom, boom, boom. So we're barely holding on. And we need a young man. It wasn't Soto. Who was it? I'm trying to remember who I was watching at that point. Um, anyway, we, we had a guy, Charlie Brooms, a guy I like a lot on the team. Uh, Furman is another guy I really like, that, uh, Spencer Furman for the Bears. But I think it was Charlie, and we needed him to hang in there. I mean, he, we, and we were desperately needing him to break. We were down 4-2 in, a, in the second set. And, man, we needed him, or maybe it was third set already. Bottom line is, unlike, like, professional tennis, if you've watched some of these majors, Garrett, I mean, a men's tennis match can take forever. I mean, I, one time, a few years ago at Wimbledon, um, I think it was John Isner who was involved in a match that went, like, seven, eight, nine hours or something insane. Like, it was just pitiful. It just went and went and went, and people were like, that's cool. Well, not really. I mean, no one really wants to sit down and watch like a five- or six-hour tennis match. These things, boom, they're happening in a hurry because you're not playing ads. You're playing no ads. You know what that means, Garrett? Are you enough of a tennis aficionado to know what that means when I say no ads? Uh, no, I'm honestly not. All right. Well, when you get to deuce, there's add-in, add-outs. Um, they're, they're playing no ads, which means when you get to deuce, next points wins. And so we were up 40-15. Um, or 15:40, about to break serve, and then our man couldn't finish. He couldn't finish in the end, and so the Bears get beat in the national championship match. A lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. My neighbor Ted was sending me updates, even though I was watching a lot of the time. Uh, but uh, and he was a uh, he was part of a national championship team at Sam Houston back in the day, back in the 1970s. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a great run for. Baylor men's tennis, they make it all the way to the national title. They won one in 2004, and they got beat, and there was a kid that was the, it was the coach's son, and he, got the, he was the one. It was the son of the head coach for Florida, Garrett, and his name was Shelton. Last name was Shelton, and he was really good and really emotional. Like, I, I, what I wasn't prepared for, I've seen a little bit of college tennis. I had kind of forgotten – and I saw it in person years and years ago. I covered some matches uh, at a Baylor event. I forgot how emotional it gets. And I was watching our best uh, doubles team. And, like, after each point, I mean, Garrett, they, there was, like, a big celebration that was going on. And they would scream and say, go Bears, and then go back and have a little uh, – they would have a little commentary and it, it'd serve again. I mean, it was really fun to watch. It was, there, was, there, was, there was a little more emotion – than what I was used to. So, sadly, the Bears lose that one. And uh, I was going to look real quick and see how the men were doing. Let's look at men's tennis for the Bears. Um, so, they lose that one. They are trying to advance. Okay, Boyton just won. All right, number mm -hmm. 21 ranked Boyton in uh, – is it Adrian? Is that his first name? Anyway, they uh, – 
Boyton comes from behind to win a 1-6-6-1-6-2 match over number 48, Braska, and earn All-American status. He's on to the Sweet 16. Okay, we'll take that. So what's happening now is you have individual, you know, teams that qualify as individuals. Baylor has a couple of individuals. I think Soto's the other one. And, uh, and then they have a, a doubles team that is, uh, is, has advanced as well. So our, our singles player has made it to 16. And um, uh, I'm, I'm following our Twitter account to know all this thing. So See, that's where it, I got confused. I thought that once Florida beat them, I thought it was over. I didn't realize that then you break into individual, uh, you know, and you continue your season or doubles. That, that one kind of caught me off guard. Well, there's a team title. So what happens is the Baylor team – lost in the national championship match to Florida. The team title ends, and then the folks that are ranked high enough or ranked a certain, uh, you know, they get to advance into the singles and doubles um, kind of individual championships. So the Bears still have a chance to win a national title. As it's, It seems like a long shot where we're ranked, but still, you never know. Make it a Sweet 16, and you keep going. And uh, Boyton just got the win. So we'll see how this other match goes. And, I, uh, yeah, yeah, this is really interesting. I was watching all these things. Um, Adi, Adi, is that what we call him? Okay, I'm just looking at all this stuff as we speak. So Bears have uh, advanced in singles, and then we'll keep you up to date on doubles and how all that goes. So Michael Woodson, who had the interim tag taken off, the, uh, the Bears have advanced, so exciting, and it was good to see all the other uh, teams pulling for the Bears. Now, the women right now are competing at Greyhawk. All right, and um, Garrett, I'll go now to the Baylor women's, go- women go- women's golf and, and take a peek, and they have made a move. They had a really rough opening day. And they have been flying up the board, and they need to finish today in the top eight to advance to match play. All right, and uh, right now, Baylor's highest-ranked uh, young lady is Elodie Chapelet, and she is even through nine holes. All right, and I look down here and see Baylor's other big-time player, Gerline Core, and right now, ooh, two under through nine holes. All right, so playing really well there. And let me look at, and I'll help you out here for some other scores. Rosie Belsham had three bogeys earlier in the day, but bounced back with a birdie, and now she's kind of got her footing, and she's made the turn, and she is two over. So the Lady Bears are bouncing back in a big way out there at Greyhawk. And do you know, Garrett, who is the head teaching professional at Greyhawk in Scottsdale, Arizona? Ooh, no, that I do not. Who is it? He happens to be the man who is also the swing coach of Phil Mickelson. Ooh, and uh, he's a he is a big time, uh, big time pro. Came over from Australia, and he uh, was one of the guys that Phil Mickelson gave a lot of credit to. I my day yesterday. I, I I mean, I'm certainly on Saturday. I also checked in with the Mavericks to see how they were doing, and they obviously pulled one out. But the the PGA Championship, I will admit, uh, was my main focus over the weekend. 
and seeing Mickelson do that, for those of us that are getting a little closer to 50 than we would like to admit, um, man, that was inspiring. He's almost 51, Garrett, and he goes out there. And this wasn't like the Masters older golfers because it's not quite as long. It's more of a shot maker's course. If you can still putt, you can still play there. Um, this was not supposed to be a course that a 50, nearly 51-year-old man was supposed to go out and score on. And yet Phil, from early in this tournament, hung in there, hung in there, then gets the lead, and then somehow holds off Kepka. Kepka kind of imploded early, finally kind of got it right on the back nine, but it was too little too late, and Phil did it. And, and Garrett, I, I mean, that was one of the wildest scenes uh, in, in all of golf. Uh, I remember when Tiger did it a couple of years ago, and that was shocking that he, he had it'd been a long time since he'd won a major, and all the fans came out behind him. It mm-hmm. was a great shot. Now, that wasn't the Masters. I think that was another tournament he won where the fans were allowed to spill out onto the course. That was um, – I can't remember which tournament that was. It may have been the tournament tournament players' championship, whatever. It, it, was, a, it, was, a, it was a big one, but I just can't remember which, which tournament that was. This was a dadgum play – this was the PGA Championship, and the fans were allowed, and I think it was just so – we're so used to not seeing fans in a lot of these games mm-hmm. that it was kind of – and they got they let it get out of control. And so he hits the, the final approach shot into 18, and next thing you know, Garrett, there's like people hanging over his shoulders. And they're jumping up on him, and they're not supposed to be able to do that. And security was not as tight as it needed to be. <laughs> Poor Kepka couldn't get out of that thing. Kepka's a big old bruising, you know, he's a strong weight room type guy. And the crowd just ate him alive. He couldn't get through there to even get up on the green to get ready to hit a shot. I mean, there was a, there was a chance on that final hole. Phil could have bogeyed that thing, and Kepka could have birdied it. But Phil, once he put it up there, he had plenty of, of room to, you know, he basically just needed to uh, two-putt, and he was going to be okay, even if he three-putted. Uh, he was fine, and and he cozies it up there and then knocks it in for par and wins the PGA Championship at age 50. Garrett, even for a guy, a young man like you who can be a little cynical at times, that had to be thrilling to, to see that performance and to see Phil be able to pull that one off. It really was. I, I was trying to stay in tune with the tournament all weekend long. I've been trying to get more adept to golf and I've kind of, it's starting to grow on me a little bit, but it was, especially that scene at the end, uh, it kind of caught me off guard. I, I can only imagine what Phil was thinking as you have all these hands grabbing on you, but I didn't realize I was witnessing history. I, I didn't know that he was going to be the oldest golfer to win uh, in that tournament, and I was looking at all the behind-the-scenes storylines where you see the one with Kepka was talking about he asked for Phil for an autograph when he was a kid, and he got turned yeah. down, and then he gets oh. paired with him. So it, it was a lot of fun, it, but it was one of those things where I enjoyed it. I just didn't realize I was watching history. Well, you were. And I pre- I'm glad that you appreciated it. And I, and I know golf's not for everybody, but I've loved it my whole life. My grandfather, um, uh, I played, grew up playing with my grandfather, and he, my dad taught me how to play. And um, we won't blame them for my poor play, but I've loved it, and I love playing. And uh, yesterday I taped part of it, Garrett. I was so inspired by watching the PGA Championship that I, I pressed pause or I started taping it, and I ran off to the uh, driving range because I was just like, I, you know, I need to 
got all pumped I need up. To go, I need to go hit a few. I need to go hit a few. And, of course, I've got this broken neck, and I, it, it's only the second time I've tried to hit full shots. But, man, I was juiced up. I was out there hitting. I got my driving foreiron out, kind of an oversized ping foreiron, Garrett, and I was I was hitting a mess out of it. <laughs> and I think it was just my, you know, it was I, my juices were flowing. Yeah, full bit. of adrenaline. Now, these guys were hitting, like, It'll be like 183, and they'll pull a nine iron out or something stupid like that. I mean, that's insane. But for me, I was teeing that thing up with a four iron and knocking it out there, knocking the fool out of it. So it was uh, that was fun. Uh, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to keep it on golf, and we're going to talk to um, a real good friend of the show and a guy that gives great perspective on majors and all that kind of thing. Uh, it is the, the head golf coach at Baylor, Mike McGraw, will join us next. This is a Fox 44 weather update. I'm Chief Meteorologist Mike LaPointe. A 60% chance of scattered showers early this evening. Otherwise, it'll be mostly cloudy with low temperatures falling to 68 degrees. Partly sunny tomorrow with a 50% chance of scattered showers, a high of 82. And on Wednesday, partly sunny. It's going to be warmer with a 20% chance of rain and a high of 86. Join me every weeknight during Fox 44 News at 536 and 9. For your forecast first, plus check out fox44news.com for any changes in the weather. Recently on the John Moore Show. Thought about this and told a couple people in the press box yesterday. People have asked, man, what's it like to do a national championship game? What's Mm -hmm. that like? And I said, it's great. I mean, there's nothing like that uh, professionally. said, but you know what? You've got to do a lot of Baylor Prairie View A&M games before you get to a national championship game. And then last night, I find myself sitting there doing Baylor and Prairie View A&M. Tune in to the Voice of the Bears weekdays from 2 to 3 p.m. here on ESPN Central Texas. In the market for a new metal roof? Since 1943, Pioneer Steel & Pipe has helped Central Texas residential and commercial customers with metal roofs that are impact, fire, and windstorm resistant and will lower your insurance considerably. Your roof will be figured correctly, and they offer a wide variety of panels and colors to make sure it looks sharp. Everyone wants to protect their hard-earned assets from harsh Texas weather, and a metal roof is the best way to protect your home. Pioneer Steel & Pipe, with locations in Waco and Bryan, and at Pioneer boys.com elevate your career with a new job at VersaLift southwest a Thai manufacturing company VersaLift southwest occupies a 16 acre state-of-the-art assembly and upfitting facility that develops and builds the world's best aerial lifts digger derricks and cable placers right here in central texas they are now hiring hydraulic electrical and service technicians all openings start at 17 dollars an hour or more Drop by their location, 7601 Imperial Drive in Waco, to apply. Southwest Sports Medicine and Orthopedics, the team physicians of Baylor Athletics. Our doctors specialize in the diagnosis and treatment of any and all sports-related injuries. Celebrating over a decade of service to Central Texas, our doctors are equipped to handle a wide range of issues. Whether it's your foot or ankle, your hand or wrist, knee and shoulder pain, or you're in need of our arthritis and total joint clinic, trust the doctors that Baylor trusts. Southwest Sports Medicine and Orthopedics, our goal is to get you back in the game. Your attention is needed for this special announcement. It's Freedom Country's grand opening sales event. Central Texas, you've asked for it and you've got it. Freedom Country's grand opening sales event is here. And during our Freedom Country sales event, you can take advantage of thousands of dollars in savings and zero dollars down delivers. And like I said, we're making car buying easy with five makes two stores all in one location right here in Colleen at Freedom Country. I had to say it. 
all of us plus textile license to get off completely killed. ESPN Radio Sports Center. I'm Ward Watch with your ESPN Central Texas Sports Center update brought to you by Slovakic Sausage and West. Phil Mickelson captured his sixth major at the PGA Championship at the age of 50, becoming the oldest winner in major championship history. Bader will be the number six seed at the Big 12 Championship after finishing the season 11 and 13 in conference play. They start with Texas Tech on Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Rangers return the favor to the Astros, getting the sweep over the weekend at home. Rangers had the day off before hitting the road and starting a series with the Angels tomorrow night. Astros also with the day off before starting a series with the Dodgers at home tomorrow night. Texas A&M announced that head baseball coach Rod Childress' contract would not be renewed. In 16 seasons as Aggies head coach, Childress led A&M to 13 NCAA tournaments and made the College World Series in 2011 and 17. Sports Center every 20 minutes, only on ESPN Central Texas. Matt Mosley show, Garrett Ross in there doing his thing. We're joined now by Mike McGraw, Baylor men's golf coach. And Mike, I, I have to think you're a little but, bit like me today. Just you feel inspired. I, I, uh, I found myself kind of racing out yesterday. I pushed pause on the uh, PGA Championship. I wanted to get to the driving range. What I was <laughs> seeing was uh, inspiring me. Uh, welcome back to the program, and, and what did you what did you make of uh, Phil Mickelson at age fifty winning the PGA Championship? Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on today. I appreciate that. The uh, second uh, thing is that it reminded me a lot of what Jack Nicklaus did in nineteen eighty six, the Masters, and that is he was a player well past his prime, wasn't even particularly in good form of late, and. Once he got in contention in a big event, he, he remembered how to win. And I think Jack did that in 86. I think Tiger did it in 2019. Not quite as old as either of the other two, but then uh, Phil did it this year. That's an amazing accomplishment. And, you know, I noticed yesterday Brooks ripped one off the tee, hit it about 361, and and <laughs> Phil just knocked it right by him, 366, the same hole. So, you know, he's uh, pretty amazing for a guy 50. What, I mean, they were playing that thing at about 7,800 yards, uh, maybe even a little bit more than that. You know, the Masters, you see older players sometimes kind of hang in there. Fred Couples has done it over the years. I, you don't normally see a 50-year-old uh, hang around and last as long as Phil and then win the thing. I mean, I, I guess to me, Mike, that, that makes this win even more remarkable where he did it. Do you feel similarly? Completely. And you'll notice the other two events I just talked about were at the Masters. So Tiger and Jack had played multiple. I mean, Nicholas had played there for 30 years and Tiger had played there for 20 years. So they are more. So they had seen that golf course under championship conditions multiple occasions. Uh, Phil had only seen this golf course under championship conditions one time. It was back in 2012. So that makes it even more amazing. Plus, he was four years older than Jack and about five years older than Tiger was. And you're not supposed to have that good of nerves at 50 to do what he did yesterday. That's just, you know, think of all the pressure putts he's had, all the pressure golf shots he's had through the years, and your nerves are supposed to be frazzled at that point. But obviously uh, he he bucked conventional wisdom and, and just did something we're going to remember for a long, long time. 
Wasn't that um, wasn't that crowd? I, I like what Phil said. He said it was a little unnerving, and then he said it was awesome. He he kind of caught himself, but I I was nervous just watching that. And then Brooks disappears into that crowd. Uh, we have seen golf courses. They let you at St Andrews and some of those British courses. They let the crowd follow the 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 final pairing up the um, up the 18th. I I got to say, Mike did. Didn't that seem a little scary watching that? Because I, I thought security let things get away from him a little bit there yesterday. I just don't think security was ready. It got away from him for sure. And, you know, you look at in the past, I mean, that's happened on numerous occasions. And as you said, in the Open Championship, it's happened. Look at 1962 when uh, Palmer was coming down the 18th, 72nd fairway at uh, Troon, and he barely got out alive. It was like... So I, that makes it for a better event, something we'll never forget. And some of the shots Phil hit yesterday were as, just as epic as that crowd was. But once again, it's amazing to have crowds back for golf. I think players need it. Uh, I think the game of golf needs it, and uh, certainly it showed yesterday. Talking to Mike McGraw, Baylor men's golf coach, and Matt Mosley show ESPN Central Texas. Uh, do you remember, think back to when – Phil was a junior golfer. You're not much older than uh, than Phil. Um, what um, what do you what do you remember? Of, I mean, I, I, I when I think back on that, I think he was what I remember was one of the greatest juniors we've ever had. I mean, may, maybe not quite Tiger, but what was uh, I mean? By the time he was 19 or 20, was Phil already built to be able to go out there and compete on the uh, you know in these PGA events? Yeah, he won a PGA Tour event, the Tucson Open, in college. So he was definitely ready. You know, I saw him when he was 17 at uh, Abilene, Fairway Oaks in Abilene, Texas. And I was, I had three of my high school golfers that I was coaching there, and I left them to go watch Phil play. And I have two memories of that day. <laughs> and, by the way, they were playing an individual event, so I wasn't coaching them as a, as a high school yeah. coach. I just drove them down there. But, anyway, um, on the ninth hole, he – he hooked his driver on a downwind par five. Easily he could get home with a driver and a nine iron or eight iron. And he hooked it, hit a tree, and bounced 50 yards back. So literally had to hit a driver again, straight downwind, off the deck, hit it, carried on the front edge of the green, and, and held the back edge of the green. I thought, man, how does a kid hit the ball straight up in the air with that driver, downwind, and hold the green? I couldn't believe it. To go all the way around the number 18, he's playing into that same wind on a par five and just threw his ball down on the tee and hit it off the ground and hit this way up there and then hit another one into the wind with a driver off the deck and knocked that one on the green. So in two rounds, I saw him hit a driver straight up in the air off the ground to hold the green and then one where he ran it about 50 yards onto the green. I thought, this kid's pretty special, going to be a great player. And, you know, we, he had already had a lot of uh, press around him at that age of 17. But I saw it firsthand for myself, and so it doesn't surprise me one bit. What course, do you remember what that was in Abilene? Which, yeah, which Fairway one it was? Oaks. Fairway Oaks is what it was. Fairway Oaks. How cool is that to, to think back on that memory, seeing Phil. You know, do you remember when he used to, um, early in his career, when he would keep that collar up? Like I, I, I was probably in college, and he was already out on the tour, and uh, and Mike, I think I, I think we all started trying to pull that look off, you know, pull our pull, pull the the polo shirts up a little bit. That became kind of a thing. I mean, he he's been a trendsetter for a lot of years. 
Yeah, and he's never been afraid to do his own thing and be different. He's carried two drivers in a golf tournament before. He's he's uh, you know, he's he's just he's just an interesting guy with an amazing amount of confidence. Maybe a top 5 short game of all time and still putts with that old 8802 style putter, which is crazy to think that <laughs> all the modern day technology and he's still using something they used 40 years ago. Why why do you think he's like the people's champ because in a, in a some sense none of us are really like him i mean he's wealthy beyond belief he takes private jets around he's he's always seemed kind of wealthy to us or well to do yet somehow he connects with fans like almost and you brought up arnie which i think is a really good comparison and i think he learned from arnold palmer how to deal with fans and how to relate to fans but what how does he how does he have this sort of everyman quality when he's not really an everyman? Well, for one, he makes eye contact with people. He truly does. And, and Arnold Palmer did that. So I know he learned that from Arnold Palmer. He had to anyway. And when he talks to people, he looks them in the eye. He, he has a great smile. Uh, he's a kind of a little bit of a corny thumbs up that he uses, but, but oh, well, so, so be <laughs> it. Uh, but he is a, he's an interesting guy that plays go for broke golf like Arnold Palmer did. So people like that. He hits some really ugly shots, you know, people like that. He's been uh, a, a player that should have won maybe three or four U.S. Opens by now. He's finished runner-up seven times, and some of the ways he's lost those U.S. Opens have just been catastrophic, and uh, yet he just keeps coming back. And with this victory, he's going to get to play in five more U.S. Opens, so that's a pretty cool deal for him. Yeah, and, and this one he knows. This one coming up is in his part of the country out there at La Jolla at Torrey Pines. Um, I would assume uh, you have played Torrey Pines at some point, Mike. I know you've had tournaments and been out there before. Is that uh, can they can can that become? Can they get the diabolical type rough that we've come to uh, expect from U.S. Opens with with that course? Uh, it, and and I know they've played majors there before. Uh, and do you, do you think Phil could could somehow turn around and compete again in one of these majors? Well, I, I think he's playing great right now all of a sudden you know he's got great form and then uh, he has played that golf course I mean dozens and dozens and dozens of times in competition so he knows the course and he knows those conditions so yeah and it, they'll have some rough and it'll be tough it'll be a tough golf course um, I don't know let's see if he can uh, ride the wave and stay on cloud nine for a while and I think it's good for the game when things like what Tiger did in 2019 and what Phil did yesterday is great for the game of golf. And, you know, those, those two uh, victories sandwiched a pandemic. So we're, we're surviving a pandemic in the game of golf. So I think golf's in a really good, healthy place and really thrilled about that. But yesterday's victory is one of the top three, surely, of all time. I think more guys, talking to Mike McGraw-Baylor, men's golf coach, I think more of us, uh, Mike, are going to wear that all-black look. You know? I mean, he, he, he honestly, that's one of the weirdest things about it is, doesn't he appear to be in much better shape at 50 than he was at, like, 32 and 33 when he was truly in his prime? Well, honestly, I think he's he's uh, in better shape now than he was when he was 32 or yeah. 3. I, yeah. He's trained in the last three or four years. Uh, to try to, you know, extend this career a bit. And if you've seen the regimen he went in over this last winter, you'd go, that guy worked out hard. Now, he's a big guy, and 
he, I remember years and years ago, he said, yeah, you know, I'm a little heavy. I've got what they call subcutaneous fat. And so he, he was trying, I don't know if he was making an excuse or he was just trying to explain why he's a bigger <laughs> guy, but, but he's in great shape. Uh, absolutely has uh, calves that are, you know, like a, a professional soccer player. And he's just, I mean, he's a really good athlete. And, you know, he was an athlete as a young kid. Uh, he was. So it's not like this is completely surprising. But he's always been great at every level. And now he's training as hard as he ever has. So maybe he'll get a few more years out of this. All right. I wanted to ask you about your team. But y'all had uh, – you, you missed the match play by one stroke. And, uh, you know, you and I have talked offline a little bit. That I know it's extremely tough, especially for your – kids that came back and, and your older guys and you had such great leadership uh, now that you've had a, a week to kind of reflect on what happened there in Stillwater is it is it still in your mind Mike just a, a matter of hey you, there's going to be tournaments or rounds that you just everybody it hits at once obviously Grider hung in there and really played well throughout but it just seemed like from what I could tell you guys were getting hit with some of those blow-up holes at just incredibly inopportune times. Right. Well, you asked, you know, what happened last week? Well, golf happened, for one. If you play and compete and coach long enough, you're going to run into some really disappointing experiences. And so that was one of those that we had last week. You know, we had had a tough spring with COVID and injuries, and that's no excuse. We just we weren't coming in, like, on top of the world by any stretch. But we'd played ourselves with a great middle round. The second round, we played beautifully. And played ourselves right into the position we needed. And really with nine holes to play, we were in the position we needed. And you're right, some inopportune uh, double bogeys and a couple of triple, one triple and some three putts. And next thing you know, you're right on the cut line. And then, uh, you know, we still would have made it, but uh, Little Rock had all five guys of their birdie the last hole, which is just unheard of and great. And, and, and power to them, that was a, a great finish, amazing finish. And honestly, Sam Houston State was down one man. They had a guy contact tracing and get get uh, disqualified from playing the last round, and so they did it with four players. So a lot of inspiration there for both of those teams. We didn't get the job done, and I'm still really excited about you know the summer and these guys kind of getting back on top of things and next fall coming back and ready to do battle. All right, and boy, you got to say goodbye to Cooper Dossey, who's been such a, a great player for you. I, he never. I, he was not in some of the tournaments, and I know maybe you can't even talk about, I, I don't know if he had an illness or whatever, but he, you're right, he never quite got back to his form because he's one of the top players in the country. But I will say he was one of those guys grinding for you down the stretch that helped you get back in position. He was not himself, especially that first day I think it was, and then he fought back. What is um, What's Cooper meant to the program, and, and what do you think his legacy will be there? And, uh, and he's not the only one. Yeah. Yeah. Cooper was a first team All American, a Palmer Cupper. He won four golf tournaments playing at Baylor. He did all of that sort of with off and on injuries throughout his whole career. So he's going to go down as one of the greatest players to ever wear the green and gold for sure. And really proud of everything he gave us. And, and there's one thing you could never question about Cooper, not ever could you ever question it. And that is when he was in the arena, he was battling with everything he had to try to give us everything he had all the time. He never, uh, you never saw him throw in the towel. You never saw him give up. You never saw him lose his composure to the point where it was really costing him. So Cooper fought extremely hard. He's an amazing competitor. You know, he's going to turn pro uh, this next week. He's got the U.S. 
open sectionals up in Ohio in about a week. So I'm excited for him on that and then to start his pro career. But he's meant everything to our program. He's been one of the best players, if not the best player we've ever had. And I'm really proud to say I coached him and, and thankful that he came to Baylor. All right, and now you get you got another young Dossie who jumped up there at one tournament this year and just went crazy for you. So there's no telling what he'll be able to accomplish in Luke Dossie. Uh, but uh, Mike, good catching up with you. I uh, love talking to you, especially during majors and, and getting your uh, thoughts. And uh, yeah, I I do I never want any part of that. Kiowa looks really pretty. Looks like a place I'd like to vacation, perhaps. But I I'd like to move up on those resort tees way up. You know, I, I I don't want anything. I don't want anywhere near seventy eight hundred. I'm with you. Uh, I've decided that those golf courses are getting a little too long for me, so I may have played my last tournament in my life. <laughs> That's, I think I understand that. But uh, all right, well, we appreciate it. There he goes, Mike McGraw, Baylor men's golf coach, good friend of the show, good friend of mine, and uh, does such a great job in the the. Uh, Baylor men will bounce back. They got some great recruits coming in, and then Cooper's little brother Luke, he's precocious as they come. Uh, and uh, one tournament this year, just out of the blue, he comes shooting up there and almost won the dang tournament. But uh, extremely talented guy. And Johnny Kiefer could end up being one of the most talented guys to ever play at Baylor. So they got a lot of youth, a lot of good things coming. And then the young uh, Brogdon's going to show up at some point, 2022, and his dad was uh, one of my fraternity brothers. So uh, that'll be uh, that'll be pretty cool. All right, uh, we've got some Utah Jazz talk next, and and the guy that I think does the best job in the country covering the Utah Jazz is going to be on with us next. Fox tonight. How can you describe the season finales of nine one one and nine one one Lone Star? Wicked, insane, <laughs> epic. Yeah, that's it. First, it's nine one one. Shots fired! Shots fired! It's a sniper. Get down! It's targeting firefighters. Then nine one one Lone Star. Dust door. It's like the end of days out there. Good God! Get inside now! Let's go! And stay tuned for Fox forty four News at nine. Your news now. In the market for a new metal roof? Since 1943, Pioneer Steel and Pipe has helped Central Texas residential and commercial customers with metal roofs that are impact, fire, and windstorm resistant and will lower your insurance considerably. Your roof will be figured correctly, and they offer a wide variety of panels and colors to make sure it looks sharp. Everyone wants to protect their hard-earned assets from harsh Texas weather, and a metal roof is the best way to protect your home. Pioneer Steel and Pipe, with locations in Waco and Bryan, and at Pioneer Boys.com. Slovacic Sausage has found a great home in Central Texas and we're growing with you. We have found so many ways to celebrate all the great things about Texas. Football, family, and friends and so much more. We have all of the barbecue, specialty meats, and over 35 kinds of kolaches to make your next meal or gathering a great success and we do all the work. If you're on the road, we have the best place for your pooch to stop and stretch with our beautiful dog park. So with the hospitality of Texas and our Czech heritage, Vitame Vos. That means we welcome you at Slovacic You'll love our sausage. I'm Joe Kaleo. At Kaleo Wealth Management Group, we believe a sound financial plan always starts by developing a good relationship with each client. We'd like the opportunity to build a relationship with you and help begin charting your path toward your financial goals. Dream big. We'll listen. Kaleo Wealth Management is a Central Texas team of UBS Financial Services. Member FINRA SIPC. 
Some things never change, like the commitment to service and protection the Nitchi Group Insurance Agency has offered since 1949. Whether you're needing a new business policy to get your operations up and running, adding cyber liability for a remote workforce, or if you're needing to pause your current coverage, our team is here for the protection you need when you need it. Whatever your coverage needs, talk to the experts that care. Call the Nitchi Group to discuss your personal, commercial, and bonding insurance needs at 1-800-258-8302. Have you been tagged yet again in an engagement ring photo? Are hints being dropped all around you? Rest assured, DMRA Fine Jewelers has been rescuing men seeking the perfect ring for over 25 years. Come in with a picture of her dream ring and we'll make it a reality. With our five-year financing, custom design team, and selection of diamonds, we'll make the whole process fun and enjoyable. DMRA Fine Jewelers on West Waco Drive. ESPN Radio Sports Center. I'm Ward Watch with your ESPN Central Texas Sports Center update brought to you by Slovacic Sausage and West. Phil Mickelson captured his sixth major at the PGA Championship at the age of 50, becoming the oldest winner in major championship history. Baird will be the number six seed at the Big 12 Championship after finishing the season 11 and 13 in conference play. They start with Texas Tech on Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Rangers return the favor to the Astros, getting the sweep over the weekend at home. Rangers had the day off before hitting the road and starting a series with the Angels tomorrow night. Astros also with the day off before starting a series with the Dodgers at home tomorrow night. Texas A&M announced that head baseball coach Rod Childress' contract would not be renewed. In 16 seasons as Aggies head coach, Childress led A&M to 13 NCAA tournaments and made the College World Series in 2011 and 17. Sports Center every 20 minutes, only on ESPN's Welcome back to the Matt Mosley Show, presented by Central National Bank. Here's Matt Mosley. Uh, it's Mosley, Garrett Ross in here with me, talking about the Utah Jazz, one of my favorite teams, and one of my favorite beat writers, Andy Larson, who uh, covers them for the Salt Lake Tribune. Andy, that uh, I see today you're getting all kinds of positive reviews, that triple team you put out. <laughs> Uh, on a um, on a nightly basis, I stay up late for that one. You're usually pretty good about getting it in quickly. Although at one point, man, it was behind the paywall, which is understandable. I mean, people should pay for that kind of content. But lately, Andy, I've been able to get on it without like having to jump through hoops. So I don't know what's happening, but um, it's very exciting to to be uh, reading the uh, the triple team every evening. Now, boy, last night was that night. There was a lot to unpack. And, uh, Andy, I, I, I got to say, this Donovan Mitchell thing, it does bring back horrible memories of the whole Kawhi Leonard not trusting the, the Spurs, you know, rehab staff and medical staff and all that kind of thing. I know we've got – he's now saying everything's okay and they've announced he'll be ready for game two. But dealing with that, that, that had to be kind of a, a, a wild scene last night. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it was, it was just so unexpected, like – you know, we, we had talked to Mitchell multiple times in the leak weeding up to game one. And, and uh, you know, he said on Thursday, I'm 100% playing. He said hours before the game, he was 100% playing. You know, said he could play 48 minutes if he needed to. Uh, said there was no pain, no soreness in that ankle. And then, you know, we hear this kind of shock announcement three hours before the game that uh, he's not going to be playing in it. And uh, clearly Donovan was upset and... You know, you're right that that is the kind of scary situation where 
you you can get into some Kawhi Leonard stuff where you know you have a, a significant disconnect with a team and player, and then that player wants to move on. Now, you know I think there's some obvious differences. You know it's it's actually kind of the same thing, but in a, in the other direction. Whereas the Spurs wanted Kawhi to play, and Kawhi didn't want to play. This is the opposite. The Jazz are kind of trying to protect Donovan from re-injuring himself while Donovan wants to get out there. So, you know, basically what that means is while there is still that disconnect, it means that it can pretty pretty easily be solved by just putting Donovan Mitchell on the floor, just kind of capitulating a little bit from a Jazz point of view, letting him play, winning a game, and kind of getting the good feelings that result. But, like, yeah, this was definitely an own goal from the Jazz management to be to not communicate with this up front, not communicate with Donovan that they were considering holding him out. And, you know, ultimately for it to be to go like this is a is a stain on the organization. You know, it was, mm-hmm. was clearly some some poor decision making by someone at some point down the road. Yeah, and, and the other part of it is, as you documented, they didn't communicate well with the other players. And there they are having to answer like, yeah, I found out 4 o'clock today. It's not great. You know, and they didn't <laughs> want to make excuses. But I think Rudy may have, uh, Rudy Gobert may have, you know, been the sort of the strongest with it. Sure, they, they uh, this, this is the, I think as Rudy put it, which was nice of Rudy to say, this is the be- our best player. This is the best player on our team. Uh, so it's like he and, uh, he and Donovan healed their relationship. Now we've got another, we've got another fracture. So it, it, uh, I would say that was a really odd thing for those players to get that news. Even for a guy like Conley, who's probably seen a lot in his career, uh, very, very awkward to find out at four or five, at four o'clock in the afternoon before a game that this is how it's going to go down. Agreed. And like, especially when you have that entire week off where you're practicing and preparing, you know, you have they had several lengthy practices to kind of set themselves up and with Donovan Mitchell in there. And, you know, by all accounts, he actually looked very good in those practices, looked like he was ready to go. So, like, uh, that all of a sudden, you know, that, that Rudy Gobert and, you know, Mike Conley, et cetera, are surprised getting that text three hours before the game. You know, all of a sudden, everything that you prepared for isn't, uh, you know, isn't the same. And so... You know, I think the Jazz looked really, their execution was really off last night. Um, you know, I thought, obviously, the turnover showed that. Some of the, the, the difficulties they had against Memphis' defense showed that. And But it makes sense when you consider that they've been preparing in this completely different way for all week long. So, yeah, you know, I, I think it was a, a, a decision that has consequences on and off the floor. Yeah, I think you're right. Now, um, I, I jokingly said it earlier today, but I started wondering um, about uh, Dwayne Wade's involvement in, in any of this. You know, we kind of wondered to what extent he would play a role and he was going to be in there and have a hand in everything from top to bottom, and they really made a big deal out of this. Um, do, we, do we think he was involved in any way or was even – was was even let in on some of the decision making. What is what is uh, what is his level of involvement here? Yeah, you know, I I, I don't know. I haven't heard that he has been involved at all. You know, um, and, and I kind of expect that that was always going to be played up a little bit. That you know, Dwayne Wade, he, he does have to own at least one uh, percent of the Jazz in order for to to be a minority owner. But you know, he's not one of the three biggest owners of the Jazz, right? So. Um, you know, I think what it can do is kind of smooth out some tensions between management and players. You know, I think obviously Donovan Mitchell trusts Dwayne Wade and listens to him. And, um, and you know, I think it's good to have kind of that player voice 
in in management. Um, but as far as you know how Dwayne was involved in this process, you know there there hasn't been a lot of uh, real information on that other than yep, you know Dwayne Wade's part of the ownership group and and could have stepped in 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 some sense. And you know maybe those discussions happen during the off season as far as like, okay, how are these decisions going to be made differently from now on? Um, but you know, I, I don't think that he was a major role player in this by any means. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune covers the jazz on the Matt Mosley show with Garrett Ross. Um, I, I, you know, the actual play on the court has been overshadowed. Now they're down one Oh, and, and we got to see, I mean, I, I would say that, uh, Morant is a major problem for anybody because he just, the quickness and the, the acrobatic ability and all of that, uh, Royce just seemed like some of those, uh, some of their tactics, for instance, and you've watched Royce do this. Um, he's a really good defender. And he does a lot. Sometimes he's asked to do too much. I never understand, like, why they try to one-on-one, uh, and you see this happen in other NBA teams. They'll send a guy, like, 25, 26 feet away. Well, yes, John Morant's going to go by you at that point. And then, of course, he's so slithery that he's so athletic, he's going to, you know, as, as, as nice as favors. And then, of course, Rudy fouls out. I mean, I, it, it, Morant is a problem. And I'm just – it, it, the adjustments, in my mind, weren't there in this game uh, to kind of to shut that down. It was like Brooks got rolling. They finally maybe quieted that down a little bit. And then Morant was going there at the end. And, and that's where I think you get into some problems with Donovan out. Not that Donovan is an elite defender. You know, I think he's, he's certainly not. But – you know, so you, you have Mike Conley and you have Royce O'Neal as, as positive perimeter defenders on the team, and you, 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 you know, assign one of those guys to guard John, one of those guys to guard Dylan. Um, but then when you have one of those guys in foul trouble or one of those guys just taking their normal bench rest, then all of a sudden you kind of run out of perimeter athleticism on this Jazz team. And, you know, it's nice to have Joe Ingles and Boyan Bogdanovich and George Niang, those are terrific players and, and obviously some of the best role players in the league, so you're, you're not complaining about that, but they're not the kind of guys who you can use to defend John Morant and Boyan Bogdanovich, so, or, and John Morant and Dylan Brooks, I should say. So I, you know, I, I think what you, if you do reintroduce Donovan Mitchell back into the, into the lineup in Game 2, uh, you, you hope Mike Conley isn't in foul trouble again, certainly is not a guy that's usually in foul trouble, uh, last night was the first game all season long that Rudy Gobert fouled out. Then I think, you know, basically everyone kind of shifts to their correct role defensively and you have matchups that make sense. But, but you're right, you know, I think as is, you know, I, I think it was kind of untenable for the Jazz to get stops down the stretch uh, because they, they didn't have really the personnel that made it made sense. You know, you've been at times, I think, sort of tough on Clarkson, but I think you were right. He went through a lull. And then in games like last night, I mean, he, you know, I think they do best when they're just passing the ball around like crazy. What Quinn always says is like, okay, ball sticking, ball sticking too much. It, don't you, do you feel like Clarkson kind of obviously in the last few weeks got it going again, found his role, was getting past players, getting to the rim. But then last night, it, I guess what happens is when they get down, uh, he gets into hero ball mind mindset, and he is capable of taking over a game, obviously. But that seems too much to ask of him on a night-to-night basis. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And you know, it's 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 tough because you're right; he is capable of it, and has shown the ability to get the Jazz back in games that you know they hadn't had any business belonging in. But I I do think that you know sometimes he can shoot you out of a game too, and and that's what we saw last night. You know. 
Quinn Snyder talks about making what he calls 0.5 second decisions is you've got to know when you catch the ball or you're going to dribble, or you're going to pass it, or you're going to shoot it. And you got to, you've got to make those moves right away. Um, and you're right. I think the jazz play their best basketball when they're like a similar facsimile to the, the 2014 Spurs, where it's just, you know, one touch pass, move the ball, move the defense and get open shots or open layups. And when you have Jordan Clarkson kind of dribbling the air out of the ball, um, it, it makes it really tough, right? It, it makes it, it, it takes away a lot of what the Jazz are good at in favor of Jordan Clarkson doing his thing. Now, when you know when he's on fire, that's that's great. And even if he had gone, you know, two of eight, three of eight from three point line last night, you know, the Jazz would have won the game. But instead, he goes over eight. You know, I think he had some bad forays to the rim. He had four turnovers. Um, and, and so, yeah, you add it all up, and it was a really negative performance from Clarkson. Now, you know, we we know if if anyone is capable of uh, you know, having a better game after a cold shooting night, it is Jordan Clarkson. You know, the guy does not is not a guy that lingers on his bad performances. But um, you know, I think when again, it does come back to Donovan coming back using some of those possessions, and then even when Donovan's off the court, I would like to see more of those go to Joe Ingles um, and run that pick and roll with Rudy Gobert, or Derek Favors, because he is such a good pick and roll player um, that it's it's a really good play for the Jazz. All right, I think the best news, uh, Andy, is that uh, Ted Lasso was mentioned in today's press conference. <laughs> and so, Quinn, talking about Ted Lasso and discussing Donovan's uh, injury, your favorite animal is a goldfish because it has a memory of 10 seconds. So, um, Andy, have you watched Ted Lasso? I have, and, you know, you're the second person to ask me that today. Number one was Quinn Snyder. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I think – I'm in good look, company. I, I mean – First of all, it's actually a pretty brilliant piece of uh, Quinn Snyder um, press management, right? To be like, all right, you know, I was, I'll be honest, I was asking the hard questions in, in the press conference of, you know, how this was mismanaged so badly. And, you know, so that Quinn got a, a funny line from a good TV show in there, um, lightened the mood up considerably. But yeah, Ted Lasso, great. Uh, everyone should watch it. And, you know, Quinn was right about that, that, you know, it probably pays for the Jazz to move on and forget. That, that this happened and, and try to win game two because they'll, you know, obviously the Grizzlies have shown that they're a tough opponent that needs their full attention. Keep asking the tough questions. Lord knows McMahon's not going to do it, Andy. So <laughs> <laughs> I've known him forever, so I say that in, in jest. But, uh, Lord, yep. uh, but uh, anyway, listen, uh, appreciate it. Always fun to visit with you, and hopefully they'll get this. Get the, I don't want you to check out after one series. You need this. This team needs to hang in there for a little while, and we need Donovan to be able to, um, uh, you know, get past this Shaq thing, this silliness from Shaq. And you've done a good job documenting that TNT angle as well. But uh, thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, no problem. And, uh, yeah, if the Jazz win this series and Dallas wins the next one, I hope to see you soon. Yeah, that'll be good. That'll be good. Wow, Jazz, that'd be fun. There he goes, Andy Larson, who is a fine beat writer for the Salt Lake Trib. And, um, Garrett, you can tell I do get excited talking some Jazz. and uh, They're a fun team. NBA. And uh, it is, when they shoot the ball well, last night was awful. They were like 12 or 13 for 44 or something bad like that. But you got to stick with who you are. It's just hard. When you're not hitting any of them, it's hard to watch. Now, usually they hit like 15, 20 a game. So it's, uh, but that was ugly. And uh, so two of my favorite teams did not win in their opening games. That would be the Nuggets. That would be the Jazz. 
The Mavericks, which has been my favorite team since I was the team was formed when I was seven years old, uh, they continue to be in it and obviously have taken a 1-0 lead, and wouldn't it be hilarious, Garrett, if both both the Clippers and Lakers went down went down in the opening round? Oh, wow. that, I would oh, love that. I would love goodness. that so much. We need that to happen, and we, and we need the Knicks to lose because I don't believe in this whole the Knicks – the NBA needs the Knicks to be good. Well, they haven't been good in a decade or more, and the NBA has survived. We need, why do we need the Knicks to be great? Is it not okay to have Brooklyn, you know, try to put together a super team? we got to have the Knicks be good? The world can survive without the Knicks. Well, I mean, the, Brooklyn's the – they're the Clippers of New York, so I kind of get it from that standpoint. No, no, there's no, there's nobody that wakes up unless you're a Knicks fan thinking the NBA desperately needs the Knicks. Now, for years, the NBA has been accused of trying to play, you know, preferential treatment and give in, in, you know, even back in the day with David Stern saying that he, um, he may have done something fast and loose with that lottery ball to make sure they got Patrick Ewing. But uh, anyway, that's a story for another day. Uh, and uh, Garrett. Maybe we'll do that every day this week. We'll just give like a history lesson. I'll take I like you back. It. I like that. I'll take you back to David Stern. What do we have? Let's see. Oh, we got game time. We got Tom waiting on deck. Tom Barfield. No telling what he has in store, but you'll be right there by his side. Garrett, it'll be a good day, and um, that'll be four to six. We will see you tomorrow at three o'clock. And remember, join us tomorrow at two o'clock for that. Uh, John Morris Show. Everybody have a great afternoon. Good night.